Hi Triber, we are back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists to CEOs and conflict photographers to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. Hi Anna, firstly, I love your mission. For anyone who doesn't know about you, can you just tell us who you are and what you do? Of course, my name is Anna and I am the co-founder of UpCircle Beauty. Uh, So we are a skincare brand who are trying to bring the circular economy to the beauty industry. So all of our skincare products are made from upcycled ingredients. So we seek out byproducts from other industries, uh, so far primarily the food industry, and then prolong the ingredients life cycle by completely transforming them into a brand new product in the form of natural, sustainable, vegan skincare. Um, So we launched about four years ago. I co-founded the business with my brother, William. And um, I guess, yeah, we're just trying to shake things up. We're trying to make the next step into sustainability. I think we've been hugely forwards um, with regards to things like veganism or cruelty-free or organic, you know, a focus on packaging. Um, but we think that a more circular approach is, is the next step. And so we're trying to be the leaders of that change in the beauty industry. So can I ask, what were you doing before you launched it? Was there a moment that just everything clicked and changed for you? Did you suddenly realise you had to pursue this mission? Yeah, I think for both my brother and I, we had gone down a slightly more traditional route in terms of career. Um, I mean, I was still, what, 23 when we launched, so still quite young. I hadn't exactly had a huge career yet. Um, But I was working in in retail management. I worked for a supermarket uh, managing multiple stores. And I absolutely love that job. Like this wasn't a a case of me being absolutely miserable. There were many elements of it that I loved managing staff, um, kind of, (laughs) I guess, being a boss. Um, And, but, but ultimately, you know, I was a small cog in a massive machine and I felt ultimately unfulfilled. My brother was in finance and had the same feelings. So um, it was by kind of natural curiosity and pure coincidence that we had our business idea. My brother is the more natural entrepreneur. And so he was the one who he basically walked into a coffee shop one day and asked them what they do with their coffee grounds. A, a completely innocent question that was based out of curiosity and was really shocked to find that they produced so much. And this was just a small independent. This wasn't a Starbucks or a Costa. Um, they produce so much per day that they have to pay the council to have it disposed of at landfill. And he thought, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Like every day when you walk to work, you see thousands of people going into coffee shops to get their morning coffee. Um, And, you know, when you find out about the negative environmental impacts of coffee, it's not just this organic, um, natural, uh, you know, degrading process that actually releases methane. So, all of a sudden he's thinking, right, we've got this endless resource, um, but didn't know what the use for it would be. And then my input was to say, by the way, it's it's really good for your skin. (laughs) Um, And then seeing this huge gap in the market, it seemed like a no brainer. Um, But we stayed in our old jobs for as long as we possibly could because of the financial security that that affords you. 
Um, and so I guess our turning point was when we took our products to the London Coffee Festival. Uh, we we paid for a, an I think it's it's in the innovation zone, so it's slightly more affordable for real startups. And we'd made a whole load of um, our own coffee scrubs from coffee that we'd collected from just one shop. And we made as much as we thought would last us the five days, but we sold out before the first day. And so for us, you know, that was that was um, gave us the reassurance of two things: one, that people liked the products that we were making and wanted to use them, and two that they weren't turning their nose up at the idea of using upcycled ingredients so we took the plunge very shortly after that wow now i have two brothers and so i'm really curious do you work really well together as case <laughs> <laughs> um oh I, I i couldn't i would be lying if i answered that with a straight yes i think anyone who has siblings or even best friends can um, appreciate or, or imagine <laughs> the struggles that you might face. And we have little scraps and little arguments all the time and sometimes huge blow ups. I think it's inevitable, you know, growing or starting, starting and growing a brand is such a terrifying and stressful thing to do you work incredibly long hours and things go wrong all the time and it's natural to turn to the nearest person and and blame them or um just take your frustration out on them or just be exhausted overall or you know stressed so it's you naturally fight with your siblings anyway and then add spending an unnatural amount of time with them under a high stress environment uh, it's inevitable that you're going to have times that things aren't necessarily going well but for William and I I think what does work is that we could not be more different to each other and I think that we both acknowledge that our brand wouldn't be what it is without the other person's input and we wouldn't have had the progress that we have had if it weren't for the other person so he obviously has a financial background I am pretty useless at all things money related um and he is not particularly I, I don't think he'll think that I'm this is unfair <laughs> he's not hugely social or naturally charismatic or um perhaps that visually inclined like I don't know that he buzzes off branding he definitely doesn't enjoy social media <laughs> um and so we've just kind of naturally fallen into our roles which is good because we don't step on each other's toes that often um you know i'm more the storyteller and, and the marketer and, and deal with branding and he is number crunching making sure we're actually making money and, and managing the budget and the spend and all of that so it's a it is a good partnership in that sense and speaking about challenges what has been your greatest challenge so far Oh, I think we face challenges every day. I think every single day we have what couldn't be considered a really big win, but also a terrifying challenge literally every day at this point, which is really scary. Um, but I would say, I guess, that we are in many ways a, a pioneering brand trying to do what we're doing in the beauty industry. And on numerous occasions, we have been told by people that have more experience than us that we we shouldn't do it or that we can't do it or that it's too difficult or that it's too early and i think whenever you're a brand that's pioneering change or trying to do things differently or, or better you're going to face challenges um 
you know, there's a reason that we're the only brand that I'm aware of that's been able to scale up a coffee recycling uh, system into skincare. I know other brands do it for different purposes, like charcoal uh, briquettes or something like that. But the level of quality needed for a charcoal briquette that you're going to put on a bonfire is a lot less than um, than something you're going to put on your skin. And so we've had to basically... Um, I think it's in the power of the story that you get people behind your mission and wanting to support you along every step of the way. And I think our manufacturers are the perfect example of that. Like we have faced so many issues when we've delivered vast volumes of coffee that have, are covered in mold or um, that have got coffee beans in them that, that block the tubes at the fillers. <laughs> they have to understand that uh, why we're doing, they have to understand the why in order to, kind of tackle each thing as it comes and be willing to start from scratch over and over and over again. I think it's very easy to look at a brand's Instagram or website and think, wow, this is so perfect. And, and they have just cottoned on to this amazing idea and it's, and they've won so easily, but there have been so many failures along the way and challenges that we've had to overcome and rethink and start again. Um, but I think that that kind of perseverance is, is what all entrepreneurs have and need in order to uh, to really do something special. No, completely. And when you started, you said that your brother and yourself, you both decided to try and stay in your careers for as long as your or your jobs as long as you could before mm -hmm. launching the um, the company. So, how long did it take before you could give yourselves a salary? Oh, um, <laughs> I think this is this is something that is depends on you and your life circumstance and your priorities we didn't start paying ourselves for at least i mean nearly two years uh but we could have done we chose not to we chose to put that off as long as possible i mean equally now the amount that william and i pay ourselves is i think it's a third of what we pay any one of our employees and we only have technically two employees right now <laughs> um, but they they are making a, an awful lot more money than we are and that's that's the conscious decision um, we want to reinvest as much as we possibly can into the growth of what we're doing and, and to getting us to where we want to be next and we make sacrifices to do what we're doing and we have to be savvy um, you know when my brother was able to quit his job before I was because I had a longer working notice so um, whilst I was still working he was renting a tiny little cupboard box room in Hackney for still a pretty sizable rent. And one of the first things I said is, this is absolutely crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. And we then moved into my poor parents' house for um, a year and a half and, and made an office there in our old bedrooms that we'd moved out of, um, which, which saved us a huge amount of money over time. And I think you have to be willing to maybe take a few steps back in your life overall or in your your you know your circumstances the amount of money you're making in order to see your business as a long game because it absolutely is a long game an incredibly small amount of people are going to be making huge amounts of money overnight it's it's not magic you know it takes hard graft and that takes time no completely it's really interesting isn't it because i speak to so many female entrepreneurs and those who have launched their own brands and organizations and everyone seems to think that being at the top means that you make the most money when actually a lot of the time when you are in that position the majority of it just goes back into the business yes and yeah <laughs> not the case at all yeah 
I know when I speak, people are really quite fascinated to find this out because it's almost unveiling the truth mm-hmm. about being an entrepreneur. Now, I know you used crowdfunding as well. Can we ask what would your tips be for anyone wanting to go down that route? Yes. So we, uh, we raised just over, well, we raised £220,000 on Crowdcube about uh, a year and a half into starting the brand. Um, we previously, when we first launched, we had the Virgin Startup Loan, which was around £17,000, which was really helpful to get offer out of the door and to afford the first bits that you need to get a product to market. And um, what was helpful about being a brand partnered with Virgin is that they have a huge kind of program uh, and network of support. It's not just, oh, here's the money, good luck. Um, they, they offer you a lot of opportunities that you can take or that you can leave. So they had what was called a crowd boost program, where basically if you choose to raise money on Crowdcube, they will mentor you uh, through the entire process. So what I would say about um, crowdfunding is that it's not a case that, you know, you design your page and you, you design, you know, you do a nice video and you set how much money you want to give away. Um, and, uh, sorry, how much money you want to raise. And then you hope for the best when you launch. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that most of the work happens before you go public with it. So for us, we had raised 30% of the investment before day one privately just by uh, cold messaging people, trawling through LinkedIn, trying to find people who might be interested in, um, you know, in investing in, in our idea, friends and family, getting them on board uh, so that when our platform was up there and we said, okay, we want to raise this amount of money, the, it's all about psychology. You know, if, if you, you go onto a brand's page and they're trying to raise a huge amount of money and they've got, 10 pounds then you're you've got less faith in it um whereas if you can see that loads of other people are already on board then it makes you have more confidence to also back that brand Mm -hmm. so what i would say is is we spent at least three months in preparation for day one of our crowdcube launch and i think that that is the reason that we were overfunding within three days Um, it, it happened so quickly for us and it's all about that psychology, that, that, you know, crowd mentality. You can't rely entirely on people on the crowd um, to, to get all of the investment that you want. And I think that's a large reason why so many uh, fail. And this is one of the things, of course, that, you know, being on the Virgin program helped us with is, is strategizing and planning ahead of time and not seeing crowdfunding as like an easy route because it's, it's not necessarily... Um, so it went really well for us, but that, that would probably be my, my best advice. And that allowed us to take some of the lessons that we'd learned in the first year and a half of our, our brand. And we then used it to finance a rebrand um, to kind of refine our look, our messaging, our product in order to really expand in a much bigger way in the coming years, which is exactly what we've done. And when you started cold messaging on LinkedIn what would your advice be there because I know I'm often asked about using LinkedIn do you just say hello my name is this is my idea would you be interested in investment or is it a lot more personal than that um I think 
I think you have to stand out. I mean, obviously now I'm a founder of a business. The amount of stuff I get on LinkedIn is absolutely ridiculous. And you can just, you can, you can feel and sense a copy and paste job. Um, so I think the personal approach is always better. Um, but I think also it just goes back to the main point that I would always say with starting a brand is, is your brand itself should stand out. Um, if, if your idea isn't unique, then you're already setting yourself up for a very difficult road. Um, I think the reason that, and we're opinion splitters with UpCircle because as I say, most of our investors, and this was part of the reason that we chose to rebrand in the early days, we had taken advice from investors who'd said, look, it's cool what you're doing, but I don't think you should shout about it in your packaging because you're in the beauty industry and it's a fickle industry and it's very shallow. And I don't think people are going to be on board with it. Like keep it, but keep it as your hidden secret for a certain dark target audience. So we had, we had like this hidden message behind our brand and like our brand name, for example, at the time was Optiap, which was an acronym for one person's trash is another's treasure. But you had to look for that background to that name. Whereas now we're up circle and we put it front and center. We're, we're very proud of what we're doing and we put it bang in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in that circumstance, I would say that they were wrong and we were right <laughs> and we should have stuck to our guns and we should have been proud of what made us different. So I think, you know, when it comes to um, messaging someone or, or any decision that you're making with trying to tell the story of your brand, I think if someone doesn't like it, that's okay. But by wish, you know, watering down your message to try to suit everyone, to try to get the most responses, that's when you maybe get the least. Be bold. Have some people say, oh, I hate this. I'm not on board. But then you will get a few that are really, really on board and they're really passionate about it. And that passion is what you want. And that passion is the kind of thing that's going to make someone be willing to risk their money to invest in your business. Is there anything else you would change about your crowdfunding journey? To be honest, probably not. I think it it went pretty well for us and we were always, um, you know, supported and we were always actively asking questions and, and asking other brands for their advice. Um, you know, things that had gone well, I think, I mean, we, we did go on afterwards to apply for Dragon's Den, um, which was, you know, again, a really, a really good opportunity. We chose in the end not to take the investment because we had just crowdfunded and actually, we had money to spend at that at that specific point so we weren't in desperate need um so in you you could argue that that was pointless but then equally i think it's very difficult to get honest critique of your brand particularly when you're two siblings and you're quite young and uh, no one wants to completely crush your dreams <laughs> you, you ask your friends and family what do you think of this no one's going to be like oh my god that is awful mm-hmm. um, whereas on dragon's den they absolutely will they will rip you to shreds but it's a very helpful thing to uh make you take a step back and um decide whether you stand by your decisions or whether you think something could be changed and either of those things are valid uh so yeah, honestly, no regrets because I think we've learned from every decision that we've made, and um, and and so yeah, it's, it's been positive for us. 
And I'm assuming that when you were doing all of the research into Upcircle and would it work in the beauty industry and statistics on sustainability, I can imagine you had to put together a pretty hefty pack on statistics and facts. What sources did you turn to or would you recommend for anyone having to go through a similar journey? Yeah, I think when you're when you're building your brand story, there are a huge bank of documents that you have to sort of create that all have a different angle. Um, so obviously, you need a business plan. You need you need your proposal. Um, so we had like a an A4 executive investment summary, uh, which has you know financial projections, which is. I mean, obviously not statistics, but um, based on, yeah, like a, like a very short summary. And then you also do like a massive brand deck, which can be, for example, if you're doing a crowdfunding round, that's the sort of thing that someone can actually download to, to learn more detail about what you're doing. But I think the interesting thing with statistics is that they're based on the past. Um, they're, they're backward looking. They're not... Uh, trend forecasting <laughs> they're, they're what's happened and I think you know if you look back at back to 2016 when we were starting if I was using loads of statistics about um, what's happening in circular economy and business there wouldn't be a huge amount there whereas now there is a huge amount yeah. it's like veganism if someone was looking to start a vegan food label now because the statistics are so positive they're too late um, so I try not to be too statistics based because I think if you are, then you're already too far behind. Uh, you need a, a, a better edge than just basing, um, your statistics on what other people have already done, because what you need to be doing needs to be new and needs to be different. And you need to be the brand making the statistics. That said, of course, you know, when we were doing our research, there was lots that we were finding out that backs up what we're trying to do um so for example you know we're, we're dealing with recycled ingredients and we don't want there to be any argument that what we're using is any lesser quality for example so when we found out that the level of antioxidants in brewed coffee is actually even higher than fresh coffee that's obviously the kind of information that we need <laughs> so um and again like statistics on waste are, are highly valuable and you can find those from all sorts of different sources. I think it depends entirely on, on what sector you're going to be working in. Um, but we're very fortunate in how connected the world is that we live in right now. Um, you know, you've got Google at your fingertips. <laughs> um, there's libraries everywhere, I think. And again, this goes back to, to planning um, physically how things are going to look when you're starting a business this is the sort of research that you want to be doing while you're fully employed. <laughs> um, you don't want to quit your job and then start your research. You want to have all of that research there and ready to go in your free time whilst you're still getting that security of a monthly paycheck. So going back almost to the middle, Anna, so you started, you had the idea, you set it up with William, your brother, mm -hmm. you secured the Virgin Startup Loan, and then you went on a crowdfunding platform, and then you secured um, financial help, if you like. What happened next? Um, so at this point, we had started to 
gather some attention. We were getting a fair amount of press and um, retailers were really interested in what we were doing as well. So we, while we rebranded, it was a really tricky time because you're using the money of the brand that you've already created. And yet, you know, (laughs) that that brand is not going to exist for much longer because you're creating the next best, you know, the the better version of it. Uh, But you need the current brand to keep going in order to fund the the new brand. Um, So, that was definitely a process and that was a difficult time but it meant that when we released this rebrand we had thought of everything because we knew now because you're never going to be an expert when you start a business about everything there are little things that no one could possibly know unless you were already in that business which you're not going to have been so it's inevitable that you're going to make mistakes so then when we launched the rebrand we just absolutely hit the ground running and we got it into lots of retailers very quickly some who had approached us some where we had um we you know you've got to put your brand out there as much as possible so we go to trade shows consumer shows um all kind of event opportunities i try to say yes to so we had put ourselves forward for a pitching event to sainsbury's for example and managed to want to win a listing with them on the back of that so we started i guess the next phase was about us building our retailer presence, getting our our products into stores, and then also getting a website that was really high performing and uh, did the rest of the work in terms of telling our story and um, optimizing how easy it is to shop our products online, because ultimately most people are online at the moment. And if you look at everything that's happened in 2020, um, thank goodness we've made that investment because that's now all we have with um, coronavirus. Everything is online now. Uh, so it's a, it's a balance between physical in-store uh, presence, but then also your online presence and, and the effectiveness and, and the performance of your website as well. So that's that's what we then started focusing on, getting the products that we'd spent so much time developing out there building our team. I mean, we're still a very small team, but you need to think about what those first roles will be and what you need the most help in. Um, and, and, and yeah, growing from there. Did you live a sustainable life before you set up UpCircle Beauty? Because you have obviously started this to bridge that gap between living a sustainable life and not. So did you have one before were you living sustainably before i think i think i think that's a i think very few people in the world could honestly answer that and say yes i live sustainably because mm-hmm. to live sustainably is a huge umbrella uh, and there are so many elements of our lives so you know you might have the most green sustainable beauty and bathroom you know your your bathroom cupboards might be the most sustainable thing in the world but you might drive a car to work every day so are you living sustainably arguably not Uh, I think the thing with sustainable living is that it's a process and we're all in our own lane and we're all going at our own pace and we're all at a different stage of that journey I think one of the things that's worth pointing out is that when you hear things like zero waste or zero uh, zero waste living you think that it has to be all or nothing and I think that's it's like it's like veganism (laughs) Um, people try to to do it all And a lot of people fail because it's too hard. Um, So rather, I think the better way to look at it is is an every little helps step-by-step mentality of, okay, well, 
let's start with what I really enjoy. Let's start with skincare. I, I'm passionate about skincare and I'm happy to put money behind the brands that I invest in or all the products that I use. So let's make that as sustainable as possible. And then you might expand that out to things that you care less about. So you might never have been someone who's that fast about what household products they use um, or, or transport or whatever, or clothing, whatever else it might be. But I think if you start with what you love and then you build out your sustainable decisions into other areas of your life, then that's what will make you overall live a more sustainable life. I would say I've always been interested in sustainability and conscious of the impact that I as an individual have on the world and wanting to minimize the negative impact that I, Anna, have on the planet. Um, but I could never say that I was fully sustainable before, nor now. <laughs> it's a process. Yeah, completely. I do agree. I think it's a journey for everybody. Do mm -hmm. you, doing the job that you do, do you feel pressure at all now, Anna? Because obviously I'm sure I'm not the first person. I definitely won't be the last to ask this question. Do you feel pressure to live sustainably in every area, area of your life because of your job? Um, sometimes, yes. I, I find it difficult when... For example, you get certain press publications who are very passionate about what you know their 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 thing, and even though your brand might represent it in every way, if you as an individual do, like, I'll, I'll, I'll use veganism. There's a, a million vegan publications, and I find it sometimes frustrating when they'll give me a huge quiz beforehand about my personal life choices, and I. I have gone through long phases of my life where I've been completely vegan, other times where I've been vegetarian, other times where I've only eaten eggs or whatever, but it's not, I can't, I don't, I don't define myself by the food choices that I make. And I, I find it frustrating sometimes when they will only even speak about my brand. If all of the people behind my brand are also that, I think that's a little bit unfair because it's not relevant. <laughs> um, you know, the products are what you're talking about here, not me. And that I find annoying. Um, so yes, in, in some, some circumstances, I do think that there is pressure, but I think what consumers are really looking for at the moment is transparency from brands and authenticity. And I think as a brand owner or someone who is um, speaking to customers a lot or, or answering questions or, or being at events, I think what people resonate with is honesty and this willingness to be, to kind of hold your hands up sometimes and say, look, I'm not perfect. I'm just exactly the same as you. <laughs> I might um, use a mascara that isn't very sustainable, but I just really, really love it. And I'm not willing to make that sacrifice yet. And I think people are happier with that than me sitting there saying, oh yeah, I'm perfect. And I have to be because I am a brand, you know, I have a brand. Um, I think that's, that's definitely not, not what I'm about. Completely. And what is one thing maybe you would want more people to know, Anna, about sustainable living? Oh, I think, I think with sustainability, one thing that's really interesting, particularly in our industry, um, is there's a lot of focus on ingredients and sourcing and, uh, you know, organic practices, fair trade, all of that kind of thing. And what I personally find the most frustrating is packaging. Of course, you know, it, oh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just very challenging as a brand owner that you can't be everything. So I 
I don't manufacture packaging. <laughs> so you have to work with what is available and you have to be always curious and always willing to research. I think one mistake that a lot of brands make is that once they release a product, they then view it as finished. And what we always try to do is view our products as constantly evolving. So we release them and we then refine them and refine them and refine them even after they've been released. And I think that that's what makes us get better and better and better. And that could be an ingredient change. So for example, you might have used vanilla and then uh, vanilla can no longer be sustainably grown. So, okay, we need an alternative. Let's change our vanilla scent to a cacao scent, uh, which was one of the things that we did in our first year, or it could be packaging. I think um, the biggest stumbling block in my perspective anyway, um, towards being a completely sustainable brand is packaging. Um, but I think that from both sides, you just have to see that the, the energy is going into uh, making it better. But as I said before, it is just a gradual process. And you have to also factor in that often the most sustainable option would completely throw out your price point. <laughs> um, and one, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on not having our products be at a price point that the sustainability becomes this elite privilege. We want to be in places like Sainsbury's and in order to be in places like Sainsbury's, you need to have an attractive price point. Um, because I think for a truly sustainable future, you need to be making products that are accessible to all that can be bought by the masses. So, um, yeah, I think if you're ever looking at a brand or a product and you see an element of it that is imperfect in your eyes, um, tell them for sure. Um, you know, you always want to make sure that people are aware of something that you think. But yeah, I think packaging is, is a real shortfall at the moment, <laughs> but something that's getting better every day. No, I completely understand. And for anyone listening to this who wants to start living a sustainable life, but they have no idea where to start are there some small things that you would recommend doing that people can go away and start doing tomorrow or even today uh what i always say in terms of advice with trying to make a decision to live a more green lifestyle is to resist the temptation to just throw everything away i think often you just want a clean slate so you're like right i'm going to completely empty my cupboards or you know my, my bathroom cabinets and i'm going to start from scratch with everything brand new but there is absolutely no point in creating waste in order to try to reduce waste so i think use up what you've got um and then make sure that when you come to your next purchasing decision you're you're more conscious um and and, and you want to be proud of the thing that you're choosing to buy i think it's really nice when you know, you can share a product with a friend or something and you're able to actually tell them about it or there's something a bit cool or different about it. I think that's really nice. Um, I think I, I think my advice really would be what I said earlier, which is start with what you love naturally. Don't force yourself to try to be, to be sustainable in everything at once. Pick something that you're genuinely the most interested in. So if you're someone who's passionate about clothing, start there uh, and then build it out into more elements of your life gradually over time. No, I think that's really sound advice. I know that I started trying to live more sustainably, recycling and things like that. I've always mm -hmm. done, mm -hmm. but I really started a few years ago and I started with cotton wool buds because they come in plastic packaging. Yeah. And I would 
buy them probably bi-weekly because that's how I take off my makeup or how I was taking off my makeup and then I started googling cotton wool pads that you can reuse so mm. for me it started there and then I'm very grateful or fortunate if you like being in the position that I am I started being sent a lot of organic and sustainable sanitary products right try and then obviously that expanded so now I'm a lot more knowledgeable but I do I think that's really really sound advice and rather rather than just throwing everything away and wanting to do everything at the same time just maybe picking one thing and Mm -hmm. starting from there and then building on that I love also what you've said which is basically think about look look at look at your life overall and then look at what you throw the most of away. And I think sanitary items is such a good one. I mean, I'm, I've made switches there over the last, maybe about three years ago. And it just absolutely pains me <laughs> now looking back at like how many years of my life I wore, you know, ta- you know, tampons and sanitary towels that, that don't degrade. And I would throw those away every single month. And now I use machine washable ones that have been absolutely amazing. And it's a bit of a weird one when you go over the line, you know, it's, it's strange when you're so used to doing something. And another one that we're, we're um, working with a lot at the moment is we've just, we've released a safety razor. So a chrome razor um, and it, they look a little bit scary. And for someone who's only ever used plastic disposable razors, uh, who's not used to handling razor blades or, or anything like that, it's a bit of a weird push over the line. But once you've done it, oh my goodness, it's an absolute game changer. And it's better in every way. They perform better. Uh, they're better for the environment. Um, they look better. They last longer. They're cheaper in the long run. Like it's, it's a win, win, win. But like sanitary items, sometimes it takes you a little bit of time to just push yourself over that line. But look for the thing that you throw away the most. Do you use you know, plastic stemmed cotton buds or, or cotton wool pads or, yeah. uh, you know, those makeup pads that just people taking off their makeup with that every single day. And there are way better, way more sustainable options out there. Um, so that's a really great way to look at it as well. No, it's true. I mean, like um, what you said, if I'm being completely honest, changing certain things I found very, very easy, such as cotton pads. But then when I was being sent all of these organic sanitary products I just thought oh my gosh where do I begin this Mm. is going to be so difficult because their habits their bad habits that you have so it's it's the thing that you naturally turn back to because it's all you've really ever known Mm -hmm. and actually the making that change like you said can be game-changing really and if everybody did that we would have a different world I'm sure yeah yeah it's yeah and often you don't even realize like I would say I was fairly ignorant to the um particularly with sanitary items um how bad they are for the environment but as soon as you actually think about it it's obvious um and imagine if 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 we'd all started with moon cups and that was the like that was the first thing we were told about it would be a completely different picture yeah yeah, always interesting there's always more to learn (laughs) so true and speaking about more things to learn what is your experience of being a woman Anna in the startup ecosystem and what needs to change do you think there what a question I think um I think in every job that I've done I've always been I've always been in managerial positions to be honest so my first job I had was in property and I managed a team of painters and decorators and I was their boss and I absolutely loved that and 
then I went on to retail management. And again, all of my store managers were male. A lot of my cashiers were female, but the um, more senior roles were all male. And then I was, a, you know, technically their boss. So that was interesting. And then now I am running my own business alongside my brother. And I still face the same stuff, I guess, that I find frustrating. Um, when you're having to do everything, there's no gender roles anymore uh, because you just have to do it all. So particularly when we're working with like warehousing stuff and like physically doing a lot of manual labor, I guess, um, packing and picking boxes, building pallets, dealing with delivery drivers all day, every day. That was definitely something that I had way more experience in and was way better at than my brother. Um, I was always out in the warehouse, like just cracking on. And then when the drivers would arrive to come and collect stuff, and it happens still now all the time, um, they almost don't, they're just like, this, you shouldn't be doing this. So go and get him. Like, why don't you get him to come and help? Um, or they'll you know, completely ignore me and <laughs> want to talk to my brother who they can see in the background. And, and it's not, it's not, you know, it's not intentional. Um, but it is, it is frustrating. And I face that kind of stuff every day. And I think, you know, every woman does, um, it, no matter what they're doing, there'll be some element still that's ingrained of, um, this kind of belief that there are certain things that we shouldn't shouldn't do mm-hmm. so th- there's that side of things that I think definitely need improving um just viewing everyone with, without gender <laughs> that's, that's a pretty big ask um but you know there's definitely improvements to be made but equally I think that being a female founder I also have a lot of opportunity there are a lot of people looking to well, just wanting to promote, I suppose, female founded businesses um, and and to offer support there. It's a little bit like the fact that there is, um, you know, we've got International Women's Day, for example, uh, in the same way that you have Black History Month. And it's, it almost shouldn't, or, or Pride Month. <laughs> All of these things shouldn't be a day or, or a month. They should be every day. Um, and I do see disproportionately more support during those times that are focused on on women and, and, and you know being proud to be a woman or to support women. And whilst it's positive, um, I I wish that there was that support all year round. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, I wish that more men were involved in the support of that as well. I mean, look at any anything that I do that is all about girl power is led by girls <laughs> and I sometimes wish that there were more men behind the scenes promoting female businesses it wasn't just women promoting women um there were more men actively wanting to get involved in that as well um so you know there's definitely support there and I've, I've never felt truly undermined or like my gender has held me back in any way um I just wish it was more year-round experience of feeling supported let's say yeah no i completely agree it's really true as you can imagine smart girl tribe is the uk's number one female empowerment organization and when international women's day is approaching i am inundated with emails from people wanting to get involved wanting to come on board wanting to collaborate wanting to partner and you kind of think where will you be next month 
when exactly. it's International Women's Day anymore, or it's not International Day of the Girl, it is one of those things, that's what I always try and talk about to my team members, writers, but even our readers, our listeners, especially on Instagram, things like the Black Lives Matter when we all did Blackout Tuesday. Mm you know when that was happening and I thought you know what that's just it can't what about Wednesday and Thursday <laughs> and Friday <laughs> no, it can't be a day so mm. next to the blacked out image we provided a lot of resources where people could turn to and our followers really truly responded to that and were very grateful and again I received so many messages thanking me but it just it does come back to where are we going to be this time next week or this time next month it should be an ongoing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or yeah yeah how we approach people I think you're completely right necessary when you say without gender yeah it's not just a you know a, a day to support people it has mm -hmm. to be a change in mentality and and your outlook and and I think what's been really great about the recent well I mean not great the whole thing's horrendous but um this this shift I suppose with with everything that's happening with black lives matter uh of all of us having to take responsibility and for um knowing about something but not doing anything about it is no longer good enough and you know you can you can be non-racist but how are you anti-racist and i think that you can be uh not a misogynist but what you're doing to actually actively uh improve opportunities for women we've still got a huge problem so mm. what are you doing physically to fix it you can know about it but how are you changing it how are you taking responsibility for being better with that mm. and like you said you know we did blackout tuesday but um, and we we did an initial post where we spoke about our reservations and our thoughts and our feelings and that's all well and good but mm. then we followed it up with our tangible actions of what we are doing to make a stand and to try mm. to improve this as a brand and as individuals um, speaking from, you know, personal, um, you know, the, what I'm trying to say is my brother has just become a dad for the first time. And so our initiative is all about children's books and, and getting better representation in children's books into libraries and schools across the country. Um, and so again, it's like, you can't fix everything. So take what's personal to you and what you've got a passion for and, and start there. So yeah, I think just taking responsibility for um, not just knowing about a problem, but doing something about a problem is, is key. Yeah, completely. And congratulations to your brother. And of course, <laughs> you again for becoming an auntie. Thank you. Thanks so much. Now, coming back to UpCircle, what is the vision for the future? Oh, well, it's, oh gosh, it's such an exciting time. I think 2020 has been a bit of a bit of a shambles, been a bit of a rough one. Um, but we're trying to look ahead. Um, we're growing our team a fair amount at the moment, which for a young brand is just the most exciting thing because with each new person comes a whole new personality a whole new influx of energy and passion and and new ideas um so i'm really excited about that and then the other big thing is obviously new product development so we are working with a huge host of new ingredients um we, we kind of built a name for ourselves as the people who collect coffee from cafes and restaurants and then we started working with chai tea spices uh in our soap bars and then powdered fruit stones in some of our facial products mm -hmm. um and they've all been you know they've, they've been going really well but i'm eager to continue to source 
byproducts that are just being discarded and we're looking outside of just the food industry as well mm-hmm. so where we are based at the moment is a railway arch which is among lots of florists and every monday they throw away anything that they've not sold so i'm developing some uh, products made from flower petals and we've got six products due to launch before Christmas, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but it's hugely exciting. And um, I, yeah, I look forward to being on the other side of 2020 with a bigger team and uh, a whole new chapter with lots of exciting things ahead. Yeah, no, that all sounds wonderful. Now, I know, Anna, you are part of many different female networking groups. Are there any in particular our readers or listeners should join? Um, oh, that's again a tough one. There are so many, it's always difficult to pick one. And I think with every event that I go to, like how we met, mm-hmm. um, you you start new conversations and you find out about more platforms and more individuals. So I'll pick one perhaps for a younger audience. If you are um, maybe doing your GCSEs or A-levels or you're, you're looking for work experience or internships or just to get a bit of insight in what it might be like to be a, a woman in business or you've got your own idea or, or something like that. A really great platform is um, Female Founders Fair and they are both a selection of founders and aspiring founders and they match people up um, you know, people who are looking into it and people that are already there with opportunities and experiences so that you can gain better insights. And I think they're a wonderful platform. And so I would, I would recommend you look them up. Yeah, fab. And what can our readers and audience do to support your business, Anna? Oh, well, (laughs) Um, aside from buying the products, of course, which is too easy of an answer, I think, um, telling friends and family, I suppose, spreading the word, um, take a look at, at what we do and, and some of the stuff that we've achieved. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for a team of, at any given point, three people. <laughs> um, and I like to think that we're, we're quite a nice example of two completely normal people who can have a bit of a mental idea. Mm-hmm. And then within three years, you know, we've saved 200 tons of coffee, which is just absolutely mad. So I think, um, Yes, uh, have have a look into what we do on, on, in a bigger picture kind of sense. Um, and if you're on board with it, give us a follow on Instagram. <laughs> Tell your friends and family. And um, next time you run out of scrub, try an upcycled <laughs> version. <laughs> Which is amazing, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> really, really is. Because, again, coming back to this just always staying true to whatever your business's mission is I will never have somebody maybe on the podcast or I'll never write about anybody and their business unless I've tested it myself so Mm. I can say that if anyone's following me on Instagram or Smart God Tribes Instagram you will see that we are fans of Up Circle. No. Now I know Anna um that well sorry I'll start that from the beginning I also end the podcast with two questions. What is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by? And then are there any books or podcasts that you would recommend to anyone either hoping to live a more sustainable life or crowdfund a business? Oh, okay. So um, in terms of books, 
what did I read? So I read, uh, I read Alan Sugar's book actually, which is called What You See Is What You Get. I think uh, he's a character that I've been aware of because I used to watch The Apprentice. Um, and he's, he's obviously a big character, but his story is really quite interesting. Um, so I'd, I'd give that one a little shout out. Uh, the Origin of Brands by Alan Laura Ries is a great book. Um, Killing Marketing was another one that I really enjoyed. Podcasts are, I've, I've never been great at listening to podcasts, if I'm truly honest, um, but I love recording them. So yeah. I would recommend, um, I've been on a whole host of different podcasts that I've thoroughly enjoyed that are all very, very different. So last week's one was um, based was was by a, a coffee shop founder and it was all about people inspiring coffee culture in whatever way that might be whether they're furniture makers cafe owners people like me um so that was really interesting so have a look on our instagram page there is a highlight called podcasts and there are a whole host of completely varied podcasts on there that i've really enjoyed being a part of um mantra <laughs> mantra that i like to live by i think i again don't necessarily have one that I've always felt passionate about but at the minute and it might seem like a bit of a basic one but I think it's very relevant at the moment and it's just to treat others as you'd wish to be treated I think I think if everyone can just go back to that and not just look at it as empty words but to truly think about that in every decision that you make then the world would be so much better of a place and I think equally if you could extend that in terms of sustainability specifically to not just people but also planet um, treat the planet as you would want to be treated as well see it see it as an extension of yourself I think that if you can view nature and the world around you uh, and, and its health as the same as you view your own health then we would all be in a much better place. <laughs> so it, it might be a, you know, one of the most popular <laughs> phrases in the world, but at this moment, in this very difficult year, I think it's as relevant as any. No, completely. Is there anything you would like to add, Anna? Oh, no, honestly, no. I think, uh, I think we've covered a lot here, haven't we? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. No, not at all. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It was amazing to have you again. I love just hearing about your story and your mission. And I will share your handles in the show notes for you and a link to the website as well. And if anyone does have any questions or wants to follow up on anything that I've said, um, I still manage all of the socials. So if you do ever, or, or we have, you know, we have a chat function on our website and we've got an online form on our website, but if you just DM us a message on any social media, then it will be me replying. Um, so I welcome any and all questions or, or if you want some advice or anything like that, please just do get in touch. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Anna. It was great to have you and I'll speak to you soon. Been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.